Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Hey there, welcome to episode 51 of the Flavors Unknown podcast. My guest today is Chef Tim Hollingworth from LA. He has three restaurants, Otium, Free Play, and CJ Boyd's. He has worked before that 13 years at the French Laundry and end up being the chef de cuisine there. Most recently, he has developed a series of menus for Blue Apron. I am your host, Emmanuel Roche, and if you are new to this podcast, I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I interview trending chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders around the country. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to it and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at flavorsunknown.com. You can find the show notes from this episode on the website flavorsunknown.com. And now, here is my conversation with Chef Tim Hollingworth. Hi, Chef. Uh, welcome to Flavors Unknown. I'm really glad that, you know, we connected and you're on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So how, how are you doing in this uh, crazy uh, time? And uh, how have you been uh, navigating through this um, like current situation? Yeah, I mean, it's been a little, you know, it's been a little tough, honestly, you know, with everything going on. You know, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of stuff on our on our plate with the COVID and with all the restrictions and opening and closing and, you know, being allowed to operate, not being allowed to operate, all of those, you know, different restrictions that are that are put on by by the government. You know, obviously I think our first and foremost thing we wanna we wanna do is just make sure that everybody's safe. So, you know, making sure that all of our employees are safe, making sure all of our friends and family and loved ones are safe as well. You know, so I think that's been a, a huge priority for us trying to think about the safety and, the, you know, the right time and reopen. We've been closed since March. So, you know, it's it's been it's been quite a while and we're gearing up to reopen. But, you know, it's it's also we want to make sure that we do it correctly. It's a, a heavy cost to reopen the restaurant. That opening cost is is going to be. Is going to be steep just to get everything going. You want to make sure that the you know that Los Angeles isn't going to shut down again for outdoor dining. If that's the case, then that's going to be a huge problem for us, and we want to make sure that we sort of bypass those problems. You know, are your three restaurants closed, like Otium and Free Play and uh, CJ Boyd's? Are they yeah, are they all closed at the moment? Yeah. They are all closed at the moment. Yes. So, are you um, even like considering? I know for Otium, which is kind of, you know like fine dining and some, but are you considering? changing some like a business model of any of your restaurants in the, in the, you know, reopening phase when you're going to hit that uh, mark? Number one, I think everybody sort of needs to rethink what they're doing with the restrictions, the way that they are and, you know, limiting to sort of outdoor dining and then, you know, moving into indoor and then the spacing that's required. Obviously, we're not going to be able to generate and, you know, people's comfortability between going out to eat and just Making sure that everybody's safe, um, you know, first and foremost, our employees and then our guests is really, you know, really a big deal. And you're thinking about like how we do that. Well, we obviously need to do less covers than we did before. We need to figure out a, a, a safe way for people to enter and exit and enjoy their dining experience. So for us and for a lot of the restaurants and, and my friends that I've talked to, you know, really, you know, really rethinking the model of what, what a restaurant is today and, how we've been approaching it. Um, there's been a lot of broken systems within restaurants that have, you know, that have been carried through for, for generations at this point. And, you know, ultimately, you know, looking at how we restructure operational things as well as our offering. So, you know, with speaking specifically on our, our offerings, I think, you know, thinking about things that we haven't done before. We've never done takeout at Odium. And, you know, that's something that is going to be built back into the model. And it's, I think it's going to be a necessity in moving forward, at least for the foreseeable future. Would you consider Totium like a, like a fine dining, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I think it's a, a contemporary fine dining restaurant. You know, it's not a classic fine dining restaurant in the sense of like maybe my pedigree and working at the French Laundry. That's definitely a higher caliber. 
but this is, you know, maybe a more comfortable version of, you know, of dining. And, and, you know, I also think of it as a restaurant where you can, you know, go sit at the bar, have a beer and a roast chicken, you know, or a few snacks and, and be on your way. So it can be, it could be that neighborhood restaurant for you. And then it could also be that special occasion restaurant for you. So, you know, really, really trying to diversify and really making sure that we're, that we're accepting to, to everybody. I mean, I think to me, I mean, not, not all restaurants, but, you know, to me, the goal with the restaurant when we open up Odium is just to, for it to be approachable. And I think that the approachability of, you know, we save specific seats for walk-in guests. We, you know, we, we have stuff that are, you know, things that are definitely more large format and for, you know, larger groups and parties, but we also have things that are, you know, for the single diner that might come in, maybe somebody's on a business trip or maybe somebody lives next door and just wants to pop by and, you know, have a quick meal. You know, ultimately, we're trying to be that restaurant for, for both of those people. And because you are, I used to say, more approachable, um, you know, from a fine dining, you know, perspective, would, would it make it easier for you, like, to uh, switch to the new business model of, uh, you know, of takeout? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's certain, you know, there's certain items, again, that roast chicken that we have on the menu, I think that's perfect to go. You know, I've, I've definitely, you know, taken it home, you know, several times and seeing the way that it travels and, you know, and, and ate that for dinner with my family when I got home. So I think that that, you know, that dish to me really screams approachability and sort of kind of something that I could eat once a week. And, you know, a good classic sort of roast chicken is is one of my favorite things. So I think that specific item right there is is something that we can kind of base our to-go menu off of items like that. And, and you know, there's other items that that wouldn't necessarily be to-go, you know, and, and, you know, won't travel well, maybe are a little bit more complicated to reheat or to cook in general or will carry over. So all of those things, you know, I think... When thinking about a to-go menu, you know, you can't just dream up exactly what you want to go because a lot of those things don't travel. You know, it's, I'm not going to be selling bellinis with caviar to go. You know, it's not, not something I don't, I don't want to reheat a bellini, but you know, that's not to say that we can't do caviar, right? Caviar and, and some, some classic accoutrements or, you know, even done in a creative way is going to be super delicious at, at your house. And it's going to give people the opportunity. I think people are right now are, are hopefully, you know, I mean, this goes against, you know, what I do for a living to a certain extent, but you know, it does, it is important to me and it's important to me in our family and it's important how I raise my kids and, and how I was raised. And I think, you know, it's very important for people to eat at home and eat at home together and have nice meals. And I think that you've seen a lot of restaurants pivot and, and and offer those offerings to the you know to their guests and i think that that's that's exciting that's exciting that you don't necessarily have to go out to you know have an amazing experience before i think a lot of us would think of takeout food as you know as takeout food and 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 it it is it is what it is and it is what it's worth but i think that we've seen that takeout game definitely stepped up by some of my peers that are that have uh, really you know executed great quality great quality products and meals celebrating celebrating local farmers you know and that's 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 been exciting to see are you going to um to reach out to um your long timer like customers to try to understand what they want to get uh, you know on the menu uh, for the, the takeout yeah you know i think we'll you know we'll do an email blast with sort of a survey that will kind of ask the clients what we're looking for i think you know what what they're looking for what what they would be excited to come back to Odium. And we have a lot of people reaching out to us on social media and via email through our website and stuff like that. And it's just, you know, it's, it's exciting and touching the amount of people that have, that have reached out to us and just offered, you know, just offered their support and, and, and their love and, and, you know, saying that they'll be there when, when we're ready to open. And, you know, that means a lot to me personally, it means a lot to our staff and, you know, I think that's going to be very important for us being able to to bring the people that we have. I mean, we're we're a large restaurant. We have you know many employees, but I like it to think of it as a family a family environment and a family atmosphere. And I think that that's is that I take pride in, and it's something that you know when other people are noticing that, it makes me really happy. 
And and you have been uh, really engaged with uh, you know your customers you know online and I think you have a, you have a YouTube channel correct? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you know we started it out just sort of as something to do when when Carlwood first first started, and it's not it's not like we haven't thought of doing it before. Just you know we've been pretty busy, so you know COVID COVID presented an opportunity for us to to spend more time and and to be able to explore different things that we've we've done in the past or we wanted to do in the, you know we wanted to do so we took advantage of of starting our, our youtube channel our kids are fairly young uh so it's difficult you know to cook with them and and with their intention spans and stuff like that and certainly filming it they're four three and you know eight months so the, these these kids they enjoy being around the food they enjoy cooking the food but you know they're they're like i said their attention span is, is shorter but you know, I think the promising thing that we've seen out of it all is is really, you know, we've seen what people have wanted us to show, you know, like making a fried chicken, making my mom's banana bread recipe, how to poach an egg, just different di- different sort of, you know, dishes or techniques that might be really usable for people to to understand how to, how how to do at home and I think the purpose of it is really to share, you know, with people the a view into our our lifestyle and 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 how we approach it you know hopefully that inspires people you know to eat dinner at home and to you know i i can't tell you the amount of people that have sent me videos of them and their you know maybe their kids watching hollingsworth house as they're preparing you know preparing dinner and it's just like if that's inspiring other families to cook together as a family i mean you know i couldn't ask for more and that's been it's been really special to see and you know, I think the the icing on top of the cake is going to be the memories that we have documented at this point. You know, it's going to, we're going to be able to to show the kids in 10, 15 years, you know, look, this is what we're doing. And, you know, my kids, they love to watch YouTube and, you know, all these kids opening up different toys and, you know, playing with different things and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, I'm explaining my son doesn't, you know, he's, he's still young. So he, he doesn't quite put the two together, but my daughter certainly you know, understand she's coming up on five and she certainly understands that it's like, Hey, look, like, you know, look at these videos. Kids are watching you on YouTube cooking stuff. And that's what you're doing with other family. How cool is that? You know, and she, and you know, she gets, you know, kind of, kind of shy about it and real cute. And, you know, I love it. So what are you cooking uh, during, uh, you know, what have have you been cooking during this time? What kind of dishes I have to say, bring you uh, comfort at home? I mean, you know, I think for me, it's always about, it's always about kind of what everybody else wants. Cooking for people gives me an, you know, that instant gratification. So, and I, and I enjoy the cooking. I enjoy the process of cooking. You know, it could take me, you know, it could, I I could spend two days making something or I can cook something in 20 minutes and, you know, both of them make me happy. I'll go into it and approach it with, you know, with different mindsets. One is, you know, just getting the job done and, and kind of busting it out. And the other one is, is, you know, maybe exploring something or maybe really taking my time and putting a lot into it. You know, obviously both of those scenarios require a different set of time, time skills. But I think, you know, for me, I, I really, I've been enjoying cooking all sorts of things and I can't really, I can sit here and list a bunch of stuff. I just made ramen for lunch. Last night I made you know, we made beef ribs the day before that. We made uh, marinated tri-tip that we grilled. Tonight, I think we're going to do, my wife wanted fajitas, so we're going to make fajitas. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's constant different different things and utilizing pantry items. It's fun to do leftovers. We did, we had some apples that were, you know, going to, that were needed to be used. We, I made an apple tart to 10 a couple of days ago. We finished that off last night. And it's just, you know, it's just, it's cooking. It's showing the kids the, like the different things. You know, I made a roasted chicken with truffles for my wife the other day. I don't think I mean, I've been with her for many, many years. I don't think I've ever made that for her. But I was like, oh, you know, have you ever had that before? Oh, no, let me make it for you. You know, it's like, and it's, and it's fun. And it's, you know, I, that kind of stuff I really enjoy. It's like presenting somebody, something to somebody. We've on our YouTube channel, we also did Malfoof, which is a, a stuffed cabbage recipe that her mom makes. And, you know, I, that was a fun process to to get the recipe from her mom and go ahead and and try to execute that as much as you know as best as possible. Calling her a few times in between, being like you know, because mother's recipes are sometimes 
you know, eyeballed and her mom's for sure eyeballed <laughs> stuff. You know, you're trying to trying to get all the flavors, not trying to put too much of this, too much of that. And I cooked it and, and put it in front of my wife and she's you know, she's like, This tastes just like my mom's. I mean, what what better compliment can I have than that? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and I, I, I have I have uh, watched you uh, the other day, in fact, uh I was driving and um and I'm like, Oh, I, I need to get the uh, uh, access to the uh, you cooking uh, with the uh, truffle from the gourmet attitude, you know, from yes. uh, from New York. So I I attended. So you were placed on my uh, in my car, and <laughs> I was watching <laughs> <laughs> you cooking. And I'm like, mm, I, I you know I didn't I didn't order like the the truffle in advance, and I knew I would not have the time. But yeah, that's great. Do you do um a lot of those? demos like this with uh, collaboration uh, with um, you know specific ingredients or equipment yeah definitely you know i think whenever you know whenever the purveyors that it's not like i'm going out there and trying to trying to get the product for them but you know when when i'm approached from our purveyors the people you know celine from warming attitude 20 years ago i'm talking to her ordering truffles you know what i mean it's like yeah it's, exactly you know, i've known her yeah, for a, a trust very, relationship very long time. yeah yeah, yeah, and she's a, yeah, she's a she's a friend, you know. She's truly a friend, and you know, I think that I think that when a friend calls you, and you know, they they are looking for help and support, and you know, I mean, I'm the last thing I want is for my favorite truffle provider and supplier to you know, and a good friend of mine to go out of business after she's been you know been you know great with us for so so many years so Absolutely. not to say that she's close to going out of business or anything like that but just to show love and to support to all of the people that don't necessarily have the restaurant still supporting their business you know it's like they've everybody's had to pivot so you know when they pivot and and you know i i can't tell you how much i love going and picking up the produce box from the the, the farmers around here in la you know and it's you know you get you get the mystery box and you have a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a lot of this, and and you go and you, you know, you utilize that over a few different meals, and it, you know, you know you're eating great products and, and you know you're them. supporting. Okay. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, uh, I had the uh, the farmer Lee Jones on um, on, yes. on the show from like the chefs uh, the chefs garden, so that that was really interesting as well. I've been uh, you know ordering. That's I think you know how I've. Uh, I got the idea to say, oh, I need to um, have uh, you on, uh, you know, on the show because you had like a, a partnership with, uh, you know, when you were you were cooking some uh, some lamb, I think, correct? Uh, yeah, with, uh, it, with, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's uh, you know Keith Martin's lamb, purebred lamb, and then it was using Diane Sinclair's butter, some of the best lamb in the country, some of the best butter in the country, and some of the best vegetables from uh, from Chef's Garden. I mean. Yeah, it's um, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And you're putting all three of these. I mean, literally, I, you know, this is what we ordered for the restaurant. This is what I ordered, you know, out of three Mission Star restaurant, French Laundry. This is the same quality product, you know. And I think normally a person going to the grocery store and buying lamb, you know, unless they're going to a local butcher that might have, you know, exceptional products, then, you know, you're not going to be able to get that quality of ingredient. And, and you're only going to be able to get it at the restaurant. And I think it's also important for people to understand how expensive the product is. You know, it's like, it, you know, to get, to get that lamb, it's, it's, it's expensive because of the way that he goes about raising it and it's not mass produced. And, it, you know, it's, it's, it's an exceptional product. And the same thing, you know, when a, when a little pack of vegetables come in from Chef's Garden, you know, oh, yeah. you're looking at these picture perfect. Those spinach were yeah. outstanding. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like, like what I, do you need on it? Nothing. It's perfect. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you, there's no way that you can go back to your normal grocery store after that and uh, and buy those um, small leaves that doesn't look like anything and yeah. taste like anything. <laughs> you know, when you when you have experienced the the spinach from the from the chef's garden and it's it's the texture and like it's fantastic. So so good. I'm uh, really excited to um, to talk a little bit about things which is seems to be that we see everywhere at the moment, you know, on social media, on TV and everything. It's you with uh, and the collaboration with uh, Blue Apron. So can you talk to us a little bit about this and how uh, it came about? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I was approached from their team. I have friends that have worked with them and their team approached me and, you know, came to me and said, hey, look, this is 
you know, this is who we are and this is what we do. And, you know, obviously I've heard of, heard of Blue Apron and followed, followed them for, for quite a while and been pretty impressed at, at what they've done and what they've been able to do. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the process and ultimately, you know, it felt like a, a really good decision. I mean, the reason why, the reason why I chose to do it is because to me, I mean, it goes a little bit about back to what we were talking about previously. The ability to get in front of people and encourage them to cook at home. And I think that, I think that that's such an important thing. I was raised with, you know, with two brothers, two sisters, a mother and a father. And my dad, you know, was a very hard worker. My mom was just the hardest worker, you know, raising us kids and taking care of the family. And my mom, made sure we had, you know, every single day we had breakfast. We, we had a, a homemade lunch that was packed for school until, you know, like literally as early as I can remember until I graduated high school. And then, you know, we come home and we have a, a home cooked meal. And part of that process was each one of us participating in that meal. And, you know, whether it be helping my mom prepare the meal or setting the table clearing the table, washing the dishes, clean up, anything like that. And, you know, looking back on that, you know, there was chores, you know, obviously I wanted to go out and play. I wanted to do this, that, <laughs> but now looking at it, you know, looking back at it and I'm thinking like, man, like I'm, you know, my brother's going to be here, you know, any minute and we're, we're very close. And, you know, my, my other brother and my two sisters were, you know, we're all, we're all close. We all love to get together and see each other, even though we're farther, further away from each other. But like, I really, can't help but but think it had a lot to do with the time that we spent around the table and just forced to have conversations and be together versus, you know, kind of everybody in their own direction. And I think that, you know, what Brule Apron does and uh, is, is they allow people to do that in their house and encourage people to do that in the house without taking some of the steps away from people, you know, like having some pre-made things that are included in there with obviously some fresh stuff that you need to cook and stuff like that. So you're getting the practice of cooking, but ultimately not having to sit there and like plan out and go to the grocery store and buy this and buy that. Like all of the steps that, you know, maybe, maybe an individual would sort of give up on, you know, be like, Oh man, I can't, you know, I can't cook dinner tonight because I don't have anything. You know, it's like, yes, you have to plan a little bit in advance, of course, to receive the box, but you know, ultimately you know, ultimately, once it arrives, you know, like everything's in there for you. And I just think that giving, you know, that that process means a lot to me because of, you know, it's, it's how I'm going to raise my kids and, you know, how we're currently raising them. It's, you know, tonight we'll make fajitas and, you know, my my daughter will help me be cooking and, you know, my son will help me, my, my son will help me too. And, and my, you know, my other little girl will sit in the high chair and she'll watch and, you know, I'll feed her little nibbles of this and that, you know, as it's going. And she just, she like can sit and watch me cook all day. She's watched me make the ramen earlier today. And I think that that's just, uh, it's a special thing. And, and I think it grows and makes our family closer. From a concept standpoint, and, and when you are creating those dishes for Blue Apron, how is it different compared to when, you know, when you are cooking at home or, you know, in your home or at, at your restaurant? Do you have, is it a different approach or not really? It's definitely a different approach. I mean, when, if I'm going to be cooking in the restaurant, if I'm going to be cooking something myself, I understand my skills, skill level, my skill set, the time it takes me to do something. You know, I, I know if I'm, if I'm reaching and if I'm trying something brand new, I know if I've done it a thousand times and I will choose accordingly for that, right? If I'm, if I'm cooking for, if it's my restaurant and my cook's cooking, then, you know, I understand their skill levels and their skill set and the, the, the timing of the restaurant and what we can handle, what we can't handle. That's something that we have to study constantly. And I think that the same sort of process goes to when you design something for the home. And I think it's something that like, you're really trying to create dishes that people will be successful at. And I think, you know, if somebody takes that box and they cook it and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't mean that it's turning out exactly like the one that I cooked. If they feel like they're successful and it's a win for them, then I think we won. You know, and I think that's ultimately what you're looking for is is designing food that is going to be 
challenge people to a certain extent, you know, maybe that, you know, maybe the person that hasn't cooked that much, this is a challenging step, introduce them to new flavors that maybe they haven't been exposed to before. And then, you know, ultimately, you know, giving them a healthy meal that that they're going to be able to enjoy. And, you know, the recipes that we chose specifically also have a lot of meaning. You know, it's like, I mean, the salsa chicken tacos, the baked beans on the steak dish, you know, both of those things are are literally items that I grew up eating and, you know, I make for my kids. And, you know, it's it's something that, you know, I, I literally had, I literally had those tacos probably almost every single week growing up. You know, my mom was, this day we had tacos, this day we had our roast, this day we, you know, chicken and dumplings, like in Chile. And you, and, you, you, were, in, uh, you were based in Texas, correct? I was, born in, I was born in Texas, but but raised in Northern California. So near Lake Oh, okay. Yeah, Placerville. So to be able to get people, to be able to share a personal antidote with somebody, you know, it's like, those aren't the tacos that, you know, when people, when I talk to my friends and I say, hey, let's go for tacos. These aren't the kind of tacos that we go, right? It's like, we live in LA now, then we travel to Mexico a lot and tacos are very, very different than the way that I grew up having them. You know, the way that I grew up having them a little bit more Tex-Mex style. But that doesn't mean that they're not good. They're very good. And I, you know, I crave them. And, and, you know, yes, it's going to be a little bit different than what some people might expect. But, you know, I stand behind the dishes and I think that they're, they're great quality and, and they, they mean something to me throughout from my past, from my memories. And I think being able to give somebody else those memories and, you know, who knows? Maybe it resonates with somebody and maybe it inspires them to do something else or cook a, cook a little bit different or make it on their own or, you know, continue to order it from Blue Apron. I think, I think those, those things are, are exciting. And my passion behind it was, was really to be able to share that and, and to inspire people, hopefully. So, I mean, when I'm listening to you, it's obvious that this family dimension, this idea of cooking approachable food, bringing people together, making people happy is very, um, you know, important to you. And um, is it like the same, I would say, approach that um, you had in mind when you created like uh, CJ Boyd's uh, fried chicken in LA? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, CJ Boyd's for me, you know, first of all, it's, it's named after my grandfather, Cecil Jordan Boyd. So it's my mom's, my mom's father. And, um, you know, one of, one of my, he's, you know, long gone now, but, you know, probably died close to 20 years ago. But some of my earliest food memories, and I think, you know, my earliest food memory is him and making nachos and just the precision that he had. And I mean, the guy, he's not a chef. It wasn't, you know, by any means, but, you know, for, for whatever reason, I, re I remember him, you know, taking a tortilla chip and, you know, our plate of tortilla chips and putting them in one layer and on every single piece of, uh, every single chip was a piece of a slice of cheese. And then, you know, he microwaved it and then put it in, and then he put like a little bit of sour cream, a little bit of salsa and an olive on <laughs> everyone. So everyone is a perfect bite, you know, and yeah. I still think about like the amount of patience that that sure. requires right so you know that was he, he's an inspiration to me and i think you know another memory i have is on payday he would go and he would get you know he would get kfc and you know and so one of the one of kind of our, our catch slogans at cj boyd's is it's payday good you know and it's and i think that that that's you know really cool that you know he that's the day he sprung for it. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure money had a little bit to do with it. I'm sure the health behind eating fried chicken every, every, you know, every, every two weeks was better than eating it every, every week, <laughs> you know, so, so different, different things like that. But, you know, that, that was the inspiration behind the, the concept. And then, you know, I wanted to take that kind of Southern fried chicken and I wanted to apply it to my current life. And, and just living in LA, all the different cultures that we have here, all the exposure that I have to them and how much I've learned from, you know, from them and been inspired by them. And, and, you know, I think, you know, the idea was, you know, how do we create one item and do it really, really well, like an in and out burger, 
but also how do we offer diversity within that? So, you know, maybe you, you know, you don't, you're, you're not getting the same, you know, you're not getting the same double double with, you know, animal style every single time you go there, you know, you're, you're, so this one, we have, we have a Korean sandwich. We have, you know, one inspired by uh, Mexican food. We have one that's sort of kind of just like a, a plain Jane every day, you know, lettuce and toma- tomato. And then, you know, w- the one that's inspired by the roast chicken at Odeon, you know, so we have several, several different flavor profiles. So, you know, the, the concept was, you know, do a really, really good fried chicken sandwich and then, and then apply these different flavors to them so that there, there's diversity and there's, you know, there's hopefully something for everybody. You are making me hungry here. It's like it's getting close to uh, five thirty in New Jersey here. So I'm like, I, I hopefully when uh, we can, um, you know, travel like really free, freely again next time. I mean, uh, LA I have to definitely go there. I've been to Otium, but not not to uh, CJ Boyd. So I have I have to try that. It's gonna be delicious. I promise you. <laughs> I know. I know. I know that. <laughs> I love fried chicken. So uh, even if, uh, you know, it's far away from my DNA and from France, but, you know, <laughs> somehow I have a connection with the South and the food from the South here. So Nothing um, wrong with that. <laughs> you have worked like, uh, you know, at the French Laundry for 13 years, I think. And yeah. um, uh, so you could have uh, ended up in a lot of different, you know, places around the country, you know, when you decided to open your own, um, you know, restaurant. So why, why did you choose LA to establish your, your first restaurant? Well, I think, you know, it's a little bit of a, a process. There's, it's two different reasons. One is a process of elimination. So, you know, there's, yes, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places to, you know, to, to open, but there are also, you know, some of those places I don't necessarily want to want to live at that current moment in my life. And I think, you know, so at that current moment, you know, I was looking for, I've come from a small town. I lived in New York a little bit to open up per se, but, you know, never really like lived there, lived there just for, you know, just for several months, maybe, maybe seven months from my small town where I grew up. I mean, I grew up, my backyard was national forest. I grew up in a pretty country. Then I moved to Napa. And then, you know, that's also a, a smaller town. Yes, I'm closer to San Francisco. I frequent in San Francisco a lot. San Francisco was an option for me. I really like San Francisco. Um, still love San Francisco and you know, it's such a beautiful city. And, and it was definitely high on my list. New York, you know, another one that is such an amazing place and just the people and the intellect that people have that New Yorkers have and, you know, how the drive that they have, you know, I think it's very inspiring to me still. To, to when I go to New York and I and I see the hustle that everybody has, and then Los Angeles, you know, Los Angeles is another big city. I think that there was a lot of opportunity here, specifically in the culinary scene, from what currently existed and sort of how the the Los Angeles market kind of I perceived it. I mean, I, you know, several years ago, I told myself I would never move to Los Angeles and open a restaurant, and I think that part of that was ignorance and part of that was was true. And, you know, I think that, you know, for me, it wasn't a city that put a lot of emphasis on, you know, on, on food specifically. It was more, you know, it was more on the scene and all that kind of stuff. And But the food scene, the food scene was evolving though, because it's kind of like a renaissance, you know, of the, of the food scene in, in LA, there was uh, probably a lot of things happening, you know, at that time too, no? Yeah, exactly. And those are, and that's, that's part of the reason why I came because I thought, you know, I thought honestly, Los Angeles was the most exciting food city, you know, or had the potential to be the most exciting food city. And, and, uh, you know, I came down here with one thing in mind and, and, uh, that changed, you know, but, you know, that was, that was part of the reason is, is New York is a little bit of a tougher environment. And, you know, the, the apartments are small, the, Sure. Um, just, just, uh, you would not have like the same, you would have not the same view, uh, from your garden, you know, <laughs> in yes, New York yes. compared to the you one know. you have now in LA. <laughs> yeah. So quality, quality of life was very important. You know, I, I spent many, many years working very, very hard. And I think, you know, for me, having a little bit more balance was a goal in life. And, um, mm-hmm. that balance, you know, would include family. You know, that was a goal as well. And the, San Francisco was a little too, a little too close and a little too comfortable for me. You know, it was, it was something that, that it's still a city I love, but it was, 
I felt like I needed change when I left the French Laundry and I felt like, you know, that change needed to be sort of abrupt. When I, when I went to the French Laundry, it was an abrupt change for me. First time, you know, living on my own. First time, you know, moving out of the town where all of my family is. No one I know is around me. Yes, it was only three hours away, but still, you know, it was, it was a jump for me. And I was, you know, I was 20 at the time when I made the decision to go there. And I, I felt that I needed another jump in my life. I felt I needed another kind of wake up, you know, make yourself uncomfortable and, you know, and, and see what comes out of it. And, you know, moving to Los Angeles where sure I knew a couple of people and the chefs would, would be friendly, but, you know, ultimately they didn't know, I didn't really know anybody. And it was, it was kind of a, it, it was, a, it was a huge change. And so that, that's one of the reasons. And the other reason is, is pretty simple. I met a girl and, uh, I met a girl <laughs> when I, happens. yeah, <laughs> when I, when I left that, uh, when I left the, when I was leaving, you know, I was already leaving the French laundry. I was, I was sort of wrapping up there and I met a girl and she's from LA, born and raised. And she's somebody that, you know, I, I fell for, you know, pretty fast and, and pretty hard. And then, you know, ultimately now, you know, we're married and we have three kids. So, you know, I think, when nice I chose story. The, the city, I think I chose the right one. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, yes. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the French laundry, because that's uh, two words that, uh, you know, like really resonate with a tons of people around the country, obviously. And so I, I'm curious about uh, how was the the experience there? You said that it was... You know, like uh, when you arrived there, you were 20 years old and uh, you probably, it was a shock and, you know, probably to adapt as a, uh, but how, how was this 13 years, you know, at, at the French Laundry? Is it, uh, is it as tough as, uh, you know, as uh, you, we hear about that it's, it's, it, it was like a, maybe it's not anymore. I don't know, but like a tough uh, environment to, to work at. I mean, yeah, it's a very, it's a very tough environment. It's a, it's, uh, you have to be serious about what you do. It was not an easy, and it was not an easy job and it was not an easy environment to, it's not an easy environment for everybody. I think when you, you know, when you, when you get there, you know, number one, you're not there unless you're really passionate about food and you're really passionate about, I mean, you've read the French Laundry cookbook. You've moved across the country, across the world to work there. You know, you've already worked for some of the best people, you know, out there. You know, you see it, it's, it's all of these things that are sort of building up. And then, you know, you get there and everybody's competitive. You know, everybody wants to be the best. Everybody, you know, nobody is there for a job. And I think that's that's one of the biggest things. It's not you're not there because it's a job. You're there to get better every single day. And if you don't, you know, there's a lot of great people and a lot of talented people that I have seen go through there or come there and not do well. It just wasn't the environment for them. But there's also a lot of people that really thrived in that environment and really embraced it. And they're able to handle the stress and the competitiveness, you know, that place basically breeds. And, you know, you're, you know, you're there and you're, you're, you want to be better than the next person. You want the next person's job and you, you know, you're, you're extremely competitive and yes, it's a very hard place to work out, but it's also a very rewarding place. And when you're built up in that culture and that mindset, you know, you're, you're really, you might have the hardest day in your life. You might have the hardest service, but ultimately you're going home and you're studying and you're reading and you're thinking about what tomorrow is going to store and you're, you're planning your day and you're figuring out how you're going to get set up on time and what new dishes you're going to, you know, you're going to want to try to put on the menu and, you know, all of these sort of exciting things. And I think, you know, it just, it just creates an environment that still to this day, I talk to people and, and that I've worked with in the past there and just, you know, like everybody, you know, sort of jokes about it in, in one breath. And then in the other breath, you know, just understands that that's what helped them get to where they are in their career today is, is just that constant competitiveness and that, you know, that, the uh, the camaraderie within that mm -hmm. too. But I mean, it worked well for you. I mean, you stayed there 13 years. So I guess that's you, you found what you, you wanted there, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I, I enjoyed that environment. I enjoyed the pressure, you know, I, that those are the things that I thrived on there. And I think that, you know, one of the other things is just the, 
the the freedom that we would have to operate within within that format and you know like just being able to being being 21 years old and having influence on the dish that's going to go on the menu tomorrow that your dishes you know i'm a chef to party chef to party on the cheese station 21 years old and being able to put a dish on the three michelin star restaurant now that doesn't say that my dish was three michelin stars by any means but i was coached and mentored and and some way, in some ways, you know, in a lot of ways, trained to think and develop it and push it further. You know, the thing that I came with uh, with an idea at 21, you know, needed to be needed to be tightened, needed to be finessed, needed to be nurtured in order to be able to to be on the on the menu. And that that sort of process was was awesome. I mean, you take ownership in that. I really, I really, truly believe in that still today. The other thing is, I you know, I I traveled a lot. I traveled during our vacations. You know, I would travel to, to France, I would travel to Germany, I would travel to Sweden, and I would just go and cook and learn from other people and see how they offered, op- operated their restaurants. And, and then honestly and truthfully, I was very thankful to always come home and very thankful for the environment that we had. I mean, I think the professionalism and the environment that, that was there was just, you know, next to none i mean did you work close to uh, chef uh, thomas keller during those um 13 years yeah i mean absolutely i mean obviously you know being being the chef de cuisine at the french laundry you know i'm very very close thomas is a is a you know huge mentor of mine and you know i think when i remember you know growing up on that line and moving from from station to station you know right before i came as sous chef Literally every service was with with the chef. You know, every service, every service. Thomas is there for the oh, most wow. part. Yeah, he's in the in the kitchen every single day, and you know, I'd see the guy. I'd see the guy go in and and expedite lunch service, and then expedite dinner service, and then after dinner, you know, call the fish from the walk in, and you know, Tim, what do we have in the walk in? Well, chef, we have four striped bass, we have a salmon, we have, you know, and he's like, bring me the striped bass, and he butchered for. For the chef in the morning, that next morning, that would, you know, that that fish will be served that next day. And he's just an extremely hard worker and, you know, really set set the example. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time, you know, very, very fortunate to spend a lot of time with him actually in the kitchen, you know, at, at that time, it, you know, it, during his, during, you know, his informative, informative years. So what would you say would be like the biggest lesson that you, you've learned from, you know, the mentoring from Chef Thomas Keller? I mean, I think number one is just the, the constant push and drive and nothing is ever perfect. And, you know, just just wanting to be better and better and better would be one, one, you know, obvious, obvious one. I mean, I think he has so much drive and so much passion. And the other one was his, you know, what we just spoke about a little bit, but his ability to like, help develop chefs versus just cooks. I think a lot of really talented chefs out there, you know, you see people go into their restaurant, they work a year, they jot down these recipes, they have this experience and then they go to the next one. And then, you know, you, you see five or six restaurants a year here, a year there, a year there, maybe a year and a half here. You see the, these people and how that they work. And yes, maybe their experience is a little bit broader than yours. But, you know, have they really been able to to kind of slow down a little bit and take everything in and learn, learn about everything else? And I think that, you know, Thomas's process and how he how he did stuff really allowed many people. I mean, you were on a station for a year, a year and a half. Sometimes, you know, it's like maybe even longer. Like that's a that's a long time to be on one station. I mean, I don't know one restaurant in the world right now where that's the case. You know, it's like, I'm sure it exists somewhere. I hope it exists somewhere. It was such a, such an amazing time. And it's like, yeah, but if you're on Grand Manger and you see a year worth of stuff, you know, that's a year's worth of vegetables that you're seeing different seasons, you know, d- different things. And like, you know, you really, it's, it's not like, oh yeah, I worked the summer at the French Army on Grand Manger and then I moved to this station and then I moved to that station. It's like, I think that, you know, that you, you really take it in less and you really like, you know, th- it reinforces it when you're when you're constantly doing it and you're doing it for a while and to the point where you're you're kind of comfortable and you can you know you can learn the, the a lot of the stuff that I learned at the French laundry 
you know, was being comfortable on a station and being able to watch the guy next to me being taught and told not to do this and to do that. You know, I learned how to, I learned how to cook fish from, from being on Grand Manger and watching Thomas train several fish cooks, you know, and, and just, you know, watching him, they, you know, they couldn't get crispy skin, him teaching them that, you know, they were, they were overcooking. They were doing this, they were doing that. And, you know, just watching the amount of oil that he put in the pan, how hot it needed to be. How did he lay the fish in there? How did he see them? You know, like I watched it and, you know, he, he spoke loud, loud enough where, you know, other people can be learning. You, you know, th- those lessons are for me to learn just as much as they were for that fish cook to learn. Is it compatible with uh, now with like, uh, you know, when I discuss with other chefs and they're talking about like the new generation that um, I think you mentioned a little bit, um, you know, this earlier to say that, you know, they, they want to quickly learn something and, and move on or, you know, spend a year and then they, they have the idea that they want to open their own restaurants. It seems that it's, it's a completely different world here. It's a different world. There's a lot more opportunities now than there were back then. I mean, at the, at the origin cooking, it's a blue collar job. You know, it's not, it's not something fancy. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's been televised and, you know, celebrity yeah. chefs and that whole era now. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a lot of hard work. It, you know, I, I have, I have really, really good knife skills, you know, and the reason why I have really good knife skills is because. I was required to cut a lot of a lot of things, you know. Like, yeah, you know, I'm sure <laughs> your life is. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, when I when I worked at when I worked at cheese station, I had to do two and a half, out of one, two, three, four, five, five cup cups of chives every single day. You know, one two cups of chopped parsley every single day, two cups of of uh, chopped shallots, finely minced every single day. Those types of things that were, you know, and that's just you know that's just one station as a comi. You're getting all of these different types of vegetables. You know, if they're running lobster homardo then you're turning a couple of carrots, a couple of celery root, a couple of celery branch, a couple of uh, carrots, a couple, you know, like fluting a few mushrooms, like that all goes on one plate. So, you know, like, so to serve the, to serve the 75 guests that would eat that night, you had to have, you know, you had to have the multiples of that. You spend basically be turning vegetables all day long <laughs> and, you know, you, you get good at it. You get faster at it. And, you know, you're not the best at it at the beginning. It takes you a lot longer. You need help. And then ultimately you develop the nice skills and it becomes muscle memory and you get really good at it. And you find, you know, you find, you find the peace in doing that stuff. I, I still turn vegetables today. I still flew mushrooms today. Yeah. Because it's mus- it's muscle memory for you. So it's probably like relaxing, <laughs> you know, you, yeah, you can think about something else. Yes. <laughs> for sure. I mean, just sit there and you, yeah, exactly. You're thinking about something else and you're just kind of going through going through and focusing on, you know, making each carrot perfect and you line them up next to each other and you see the differences and the ones you might need to go back to, the ones that don't quite make the cut and the ones that look beautiful. I would be curious if you have like um, a, a method or a process when it comes to approaching like a new dish, like, a, you know, your creative approach. So. Can you try to get into it and explain a little bit what's the first step, like your source of inspiration and, and how do you get about, you know, you go about like creating a dish? I think number one, you just need to be, you need to be open to inspiration from anywhere. You know, that could be you're going to the museum and you see a painting on the wall and maybe it's a specific color palette and you're like, oh, wow, those are very striking colors together. Imagine that in a dish. Okay. You know, what are my green things? What are my red things? What are my yellow things? And you, you sort of figure out like, what are my black things? Okay. How can I make it striking? You're thinking, you know, from a, from a visual standpoint could be one. Another thing is, you know, maybe you're, you're, I look at cookbooks and, you know, magazines and pictures of food on Instagram now a lot. And one thing I've kind of, you know, noticed about myself is that. You know, I get really inspired by looking at other people's work and being wrong about what they made. So I can glance at a picture and be like, oh, this is this, 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 and this, and this. And then I read over in the recipe and I'm like, oh, that's not it at all. But that would be really good if it was that, <laughs> you know, like, and so that, that sort of generates a, a, a dish in my head that, you know, then I go and, and, and try to map out, you know, there's, for many, many years, it's about like taking 
something that's very classic, doing it well, and then maybe reinterpreting it a little bit and presenting it in a different way. And then, you know, now it's, you know, I get really inspired by flavor components or, you know, the, the dish I did on the final table, for instance, the black cod dish. That, that dish is, you know, it's, it's essentially cod with potatoes, clams and onions. So, you know, not really that far out there, but, you know, just to sort of kind of give you a little bit of history on where that comes from, like the cod itself and cooking it in that delicate manner where the fish is going to be really succulent and then serving it with like pork crushed potatoes that, you know, I don't want mashed potatoes. I want something that has a little bit more texture because fish is going to be, you know, very succulent. So yeah, I don't want crunchy potatoes, but I want something that has a little bit more tooth to it. And then, you know, I want, then I'm going to make a potato mousseline that's going to offer this creaminess and these, you know, this basically chopped up potato chips that are, you know, going to add this nice crunch. And then, you know, I'm going to take these clams and I'm going to make a clam vinaigrette with the, the, the cuisson of the stock that came from cooking the clams after I reduce it down, add a little bit of chicken stock in that to give it a little meaty quality and then dressing it, you know, with purslane or with sea beans and a little bit of chopped shallots for, you know, kind of like a little bite and some vegetal, vegetal qualities. And then, and then, and then you, you know, and then you won, and you won the, the final table on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, this, this, the sauce itself is a, is a burnt onion puree. That oh, burnt onion okay. puree is literally inspired by, by eating, by going to Mexico. Now, we're going to taste it and you're not going to think that it tastes Mexican in any means, but you know, the, I had a habanero salsa that, that when I was there, that was by my friend Yvonne, that was just like literally, grilled habaneros over a fire until they were black and then thrown in a blender and pureed and seasoned and balanced out a little bit. And that was a salsa spicy as you can imagine, but it had a lot of, it had so much depth and flavor, you know, and it, it like, I wanted to go back for more and I wanted to go back for more. You know, there's, and there's no peppers in that burnt onion puree, you know, and then, and then I went and I went to, but it, you know, it's that technique that inspired me. And then, you know, I went to a, a taco stand and had, you know, grilled onions with, you know, uh, that were just a side and they were, you know, grilled, grilled Spanish onions and are not Spanish, but um, like kind of like spring onions. And then they were seasoned with lime juice, salt and Maggie seasoning in this, you know, like that, that flavor profile, you know, I put kind of the two, two things together and made that sauce that ultimately I think provides the depth and flavor to that dish that is really the star and, and brings everything together and, and makes it, you know, is a dish good without it? Yeah, it's good without it. But there's nothing that like kind of challenges the other flavors like this onion puree. Okay. <laughs> Again, like they're really, I'm, I'm getting really hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to pick up your brain. As I said to you, uh, you know, I am asking every guest on the show here to come up with um, a suggestion how home cook people that are like really food enthusiasts can um, prepare like a, a special dish maybe with your, um, you know, style, like team style. Let's talk about like uh, maybe someone can do like a great fried chicken sandwich. What unique spin would you suggest them to make? So I think fried chicken is a great vehicle, right? So first of all, the important thing would be to make a good, good fried chicken. So, you know, doing a little research, there's several different styles of making fried chicken. So the way that, you know, the, the way that I do probably most often is, is Southern fried. And, you know, that could be a brine with buttermilk. And then, so, you know, that brining process is very important, number one, because, you know, you're going to fry that chicken. You're probably potentially going to overcook the chicken a little bit because you're cooking it at such a high temperature that, you know, you want, you want the salt to be in that meat and, you know, and, and you want there to be uh, a window of error that's a little bit wider than, than maybe, you know, just normal cooking, um, especially the chicken breast that we use to fry, um, because the breast is a leaner piece of meat. So, you know, brine that piece of meat. And then the next thing, you know, I would suggest to do is taking, is just making a nice seasoning. And the seasoning is pretty simple. It's going to be flour, maybe a little bit of chopped thyme in there, garlic powder, onion powder, some sort of chili powder or cayenne, maybe a touch of curry in there, not enough where you can taste it, 
but just to give you some background sense. That's really it. And it's, you know, it's going from, it's going from the buttermilk to the flour to the buttermilk to the flour. You let it rest for about 20 minutes and then you deep fry it. So you can check out, you can check out that recipe specifically on, on Hollingsworth house on our YouTube channel. And you can, you can see that process. So, you know, starting with that base is number one. You know, you can't, if you don't have a good piece of chicken, then you're not going to have a good fried chicken sandwich. The next component is choosing your bun. And, you know, there's, you know, some people that like the potato, the a potato bun. Some people that like the brioche bun. I, I'm not going to give you any suggestions on a bun. I think choose whatever you like. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, if, if I'm not, I'm not huge on the brioche bun because I don't want, a, uh, I don't want like a heavy buttery bun. I like the potato roll. I like the hybrid potato and brioche. You know, I think is really tasty and people are doing now. And I think, you know, I think, you know, once you have that, you know, now you have, you know, basically the meat and potatoes of the dish and it's, it's what you, what you want to flavor it with. And I think, you know, that really, there's a lot of things that can go with fried chicken, right? So I can take kimchi and I can put it inside of it. I can take a coleslaw, I can put it inside of it. I can do barbecue sauce. I can do ranch. I can do, so thinking about the flavor profile and maybe, you know, maybe you want to stay Southern or maybe, you know, maybe you're of Mexican descent and you want to do something that's a little bit more from your heritage. And you said, okay, well, you know, maybe I'm going to do like a, a lime crema and dress some cabbage with that and then serve it with like a salsa matcha, you know, like we do at CJ Boyd's. And, and that takes that, that Southern fried chicken sandwich that we're, we're talking about. And that puts this sort of Mexican flair on it that, you know, that's a familiar taste for, for a lot of people, but you know, it's really, it's really basic, basic stuff, right? As you're, you're talking about chili, you know, talking talk about a, a hot fried chicken sandwich and then, you know, putting chilies on it is not, not necessarily rocket science, but I think when you do it, you know, if, if you wanted to do Thai style and you did, you know, you did pickled vegetables and you did, you know, the, like a Thai chili sauce, with like some fish sauce and has like, you know, really spicy and a lot of depth to it. I think that's going to be super delicious on it. And if you wanted to do something that's like, you know, take Frank's hot sauce, put a little bit of butter in it and, you know, make a, make a hot <laughs> chicken, but make Buffalo chicken, make it, make it. <laughs> the point is to make it your own. And I think that once you make it your own, that's, you know, that's, that's where the key is. And that's where, that's where the difference is between you making a fried chicken sandwich and me making a fried chicken sandwich. It's really about, my experiences, where I've been, what I've been exposed to, what I'm inspired by versus what, you know, you and, you know, hopefully they're both super delicious. Thank you so much, Chef. I really, um, you know, appreciate the time here, uh, you know, spent with you. So let's let's finish with a series of uh, rapid fire question, if you're okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what is your favorite guilty pleasure food? Nachos. Now, okay, back to your grandfather again. Yes. Nachos. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything special on the nachos or like traditional nachos? Good nachos, bad nachos, uh, doesn't matter. If I go to the <laughs> baseball game, I get a, you know, I get the, yeah. the nachos in the Dodger scope. If I go to the yeah. basketball game and get the nachos from the stand. Um, yeah, with a nice make, you know, cheese sauce. <laughs> yes. Or, or, you know, I'm at home making it with a few different types of cheeses and tri-tip that's been diced uh-huh. up on it. And, you know, some beans and, you know, or I'm getting it from the local taco truck. I, I just, you know, I love a good, I love, I love nachos. They're, they're one of my favorite foods. So I okay. could eat it, you know, I could eat that weekly. So this one, I'm really curious about the answer because I'm sure it's going to be very, let's say, eclectic, probably listening to you about all this world of flavors that you have been describing. So if, if you're open your fridge at the moment, what kind of or, or, you know, cupboards, like what kind of like condiments and sauces or spices that you like to have on hand at home? The sky's the limit on this. I mean, I think. But I'm, I'm expecting something very country. special. <laughs> so, <laughs> Don't say salt know, and pepper. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, well, salt and pepper is very, very important. Having different yes, types I know. of salt is very important <laughs> too. You know, if I were to just answer several items, I mean, we have. Fermented soybean paste, we have miso, we have seaweed, we have salted kombu, we have soy, rice wine vinegar, chili oils, a lot of homemade kind of, you know, pickles and fermented items as well. 
And I think, you know, what I like to do is I like to just, I mean, I made ramen. So I'm making a broth from beef bones and I, from beef trim. So the, the no, no bones and make, making a broth with that. And then, then I'm seasoning. What am I seasoning? I'm seasoning with miso, a little bit of fish sauce, a little bit of soy sauce, a little bit of jalapenos from the garden, you know, a little bit of sesame, sesame seeds, you know, some fermented, fermented chilies, and then, you know, some kind of Asian spices that I have, you know, and I think just being able to, to grab these things and to build upon those flavors, the broth is not going to be the same without the depth of flavor of some of these fermented, the, the kombu that I threw in there before it, it just tastes like beef and water, right? It's like not very, not very special. And then all of those things, and then, you know, I'm also adding the beef fat back into it. Um, I took a little bit of the smoked beef fat from the the beef ribs that I made and, you know, could I replicate that ramen dish? Probably not, but you know, it's very delicious <laughs> to sit down and eat. And I think that, you know, being able to have all these components and adding a little bit of this and adding a little bit of that, like sometimes you mess up and sometimes you, you, you know, you impress yourself. <laughs> what are like the three cookbooks that inspired you the most in your career? And, and of course, don't, don't select like the French laundry book because I, I know it's going to be part of it. So. <laughs> like yeah, three others. <laughs> okay. Yeah, first time it was number one. Uh, Great Chefs of France was was and still is. I probably have like five or six copies still. Um, anytime I go into a used bookstore, I always check for it and buy it. And sometimes I give it out to some of the cooks that work with me. But that's a it's about all the three Michelin stars, and I believe 1978 and the chefs and their kind of story. So that's that's number one for me. Um, and it's less of a cookbook and more of you know just kind of the stories and, and the history behind cooking and you know these these people at that time. Another one would be the Flavor Bible. So I think that's a I think that's a great book for a lot of different reasons. One specific is sometimes we get hung up in our creative process, and it's important to be able to just you know see a list of things that go with whatever you're trying to make. You know, mm -hmm, if, mm -hmm. whether it be what goes with ginger, what goes with beef, what goes with you know uh, uh, shrimp. I can just see that list and and. You know, sometimes when you're when you're trying to come up with things and you're trying to be creative, you need a you know you need a little a little jolt, and that book has definitely done that for me over the years. And then, other than that, you know, I'm not gonna name I'm not gonna name a book specifically. I'm just gonna say that I think people should buy books in different genres and kind of exhaust them a little bit. So whether it be I'm into Indian cooking and you pick out five Indian cookbooks and you sort of read through them and learn from them and make a few dishes in each and, and see the, the difference in the various, you know, you're, you're, you're learning about a, a type of cuisine at that moment. And, you know, or you, you're, maybe you're going to France or maybe you're going to the Middle East or maybe you're, you know, just, you're, you're picking up and sort of understanding a culture and the flavor profiles that they use. And I think that that process has really, really been inspiring for me because you know, I, I'll never, I'll never know it all, you know, like I'll constantly be learning and there's, you know, so many different, I still, I still am exposed, you know, I've been cooking for, you know, 25 years almost. I've been, I'm still exposed to um, new ingredients and new spice blends and new flavors that, you know, that I, that I haven't ever had before. And I think that's pretty cool, you know? Okay. Last one. What's your biggest pet peeve in the kitchen? Not caring. You know, I think, even if you're terrible at something, you know, just wanting to be better and, and, and that, that push and that drive that, that, you know, someone really can't give you, you have to, yeah, it's an A, you have to have it yourself and you mm -hmm, have to be mm -hmm. into it. You know, I think that that's one of my biggest things is just seeing people that, that don't, that don't care and, you know, are, are, are coming in. I think that people that do care, it's an industry where, you know, number one, it's a service industry where we're, we're taking care of people. That's very, very important. And number two, it's, you know, we're, you know, we're spending a lot of time developing and, and preparing meals for people to, to nurture people and create an experience for people. And I think, you know, that requires, that requires mm -hmm. care. If you make a dish and you're just going through the motions, motions versus if you make a dish and you really put your heart and your soul into the dish, like you can taste the difference. And I think, that it's really important that people, you know, people, people do that. Thank you 
very much chef for um you know all those uh, good stuff and um you know the um the time that you have spent i'm i was really excited to have you on the show so thank you my pleasure thank you for having me there it is me and chef tim Ollingworth talking about the food scene in la and his passion for food and bringing people together around food if you like today's episode please share it with another chef or a food enthusiast. I want to give today a shout out to a great forum and educational resource for chefs called The Learning Chef. It is created by chefs for chefs. They have a great Facebook page and a Facebook group, The Learning Chef. Check it out. In two weeks, my guest will be Chef Brian Duffy from Philadelphia. I met Chef Brian Duffy several years back at the nightclub and bar show in Las Vegas. He is a bar and restaurant consultant, and he has as well a podcast called Duffified Live. I see you in two weeks, and until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave a review. Find the show notes at flavorsunknown.com. And if you want to join the Flavors Unknown community, search Flavors Unknown on Instagram and Twitter.